Welcome to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. I'm your host, Sadia, and this is my mother, Ima. Hey, Ima. Hello, my sweetness. And here's the disclaimer. If you were entertained by our conversation, I feel very sorry for you. <laughs> yes, yes. Let's let's bash our viewers. <laughs> um, I was thinking, actually, about this topic for a bit. I was listening to a few you know, podcasts and people talking about their issues they've had in order to and how they resolve them. One of the things they talked about was being a people pleaser. Did Ooh. you ever consider yourself a people pleaser? Have you stopped you it? You bet I have, man. You bet. Yeah. Let's put it this way: one of the one of the classes in the school where I work did a project on the history of the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. And I told the teachers there, "Oh yeah, the Brooklyn Bridge. I'm very familiar with it. I've bought it many times." But can you give any other examples where? you felt you needed to people please your siblings or your your All your parents time. just my, my parents my 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 adult children now it's like quite honestly like um you're i'm 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 still functioning like you kind of say in the mode after 42 years of being married and feeling like i couldn't really do anything without discussing it with your father and getting his okay or his approval. I'm, I'm basically, I'm trying to get, I'm working on getting out of that. Uh, and what's really helped is I've joined some, um, uh, some, you know, social groups and um, whenever, you know, they have functions, whenever I see they have functions, my first reaction is, um, you know, I have this like inner thing where, oh, I've got to okay it with my kids or with somebody. And then it occurred to me the other day, you don't have to okay, okay any of this with anybody. Yeah, but that that's something I think is a mixture between people pleasing and just being considerate to your spouse and being considerate to your children that would be living with you at the time, right? Like you, you raised 10 children. So you had, I would say a span of 30 years of children under the age of 18 that were under your care. Yes, as well and, they, as, and they made great tax deductions. Great tax deductions. And then you also had... I would recommend it to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and you also had your, your your husband, who that's your partner. That's You don't do whatever you want. You have to clarify with your partner. And I think having that moment where you're no longer, you know, you no longer have a partner, you no longer have children to watch over. Now you're in this point of like, I actually get to finally focus on myself and it just feels weird. I think you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think you're right. Cause I, you know, I'll tell you the truth, you know, like you said, as, as a child growing up, you always have to please your, you know, please your parents, except in certain circumstances when I just didn't care, <laughs> <laughs> did whatever the heck I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, college, of course, you're, you're pleasing the professors cause you want to get a good grade. That type yeah. of thing, you know, and um, you work, you want to please your boss, especially you're starting out on a new career and you want to build up your career. So you want to please your mentors and your bosses. Hey, what happened to you? Where are you? My, my video is having some issues. Just don't worry about it. Just continue talking. Okay. You're doing great. Thank you. And um, so you're right. It's, you know, to come into a point of your life where, you know, you don't need... I really don't need anybody's approval. As a matter of fact, one time I went, um, I went to a therapist. 
Well, let's put it this way. Like most Americans, I have been to therapists many times. I have definitely um, put my time in on the couch. And I was discussing this issue with um, the social worker one time. And she said to me, tell me something. Do you care what I think of you? And I looked at her, I said, I don't give a blankety blank, blank, blank what you think of me. And she goes, <laughs> okay, there. <laughs> uh, so, but, so that's the thing. That's what's kind of different. It's like mm-hmm. when you're with, when you're with, you know, someone who you actually care about, that's when you get into a mode of what do you really think, what they really think of you. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's this weird thing because like imagine you didn't care what your husband or children thought you did whatever you wanted on some level that would be very selfish and self-centered of you you know like imagine imagine like you wanted to wear whatever you wanted right and you went into shul and you didn't cover your hair because you didn't care and (laughs) you went ahead and you dressed not sneeze because you didn't care (laughs) but it was embarrassing to your father to your husband and to your children but you're like, I don't really care. This is about me. This is about how I feel. On on some level, you know, uh, you know, it would be uh, you okay, Ma? Yeah, it's, it's like um, I don't know, I, I press a button or something, and it like the um, what's going on here? There we yes, go. Louise. Okay, you're good. The um, yeah, the um, like all these um pop ups of um things that I've looked at before. Uh, all of a sudden just came up and I had to wave them out of the way. Ah. You know, my, uh, this, this modern technology. Yeah. It's just uh, so hard to deal with. I understand. So back on topic. The point I was trying to make was, you know, so what exactly do you feel when you say that you 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 don't care, it's better not to care, and to care is something that you really shouldn't be doing? I think well, I think there's a there's a limit. Um like you said, well, as far as me dressing Sineas and covering my hand and everything, this is always, this has never been a point of contention. I know, but what if it was? What if it was, though? That's it, my point. What if it, um, I don't know. I tell you, I, um, I've never had that. I've never, you know, I've never been in that situation. When it came to major, um, well, there was the thing when you were going to the first school we sent you boys too. Yes, I remember that. Yes, and that was not working at all. And your father liked it because it was quote unquote more a more religious school. And um, as a mother's sense, I saw it was was not good for you for you children. wasn't good for you boys. Certainly was not good for me. Yeah. Because um, let's put it this way: I was um, me and the principal were getting on a first name basis almost. I mean, it was, you know, there was a chair. And I guess I could tell people there was a chair in his office with my name. Yeah. So um, it got to the point where I just saw this school was not good for you guys. And your father wanted you guys in the school. And I came to the point where um, I just said, you know, I said, look, I don't like the school. Your children don't like the school. <laughs> cat, say hello. Yeah, 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 cat. Um, and the only, uh, I'm driving carpool. The boys are going to the school that they don't like. The only one who likes the school is you, and you're not attending there, and you're not even driving carpool. Yeah. So 
did, did, did we go into the podcast, the story about I how we, I switched the guys? I think we've talked about that on different occasions. That was pretty funny. Um, so anyway, what happened was, so anyway, what happened was, what broke the, the straw that broke the camel's back was when the school ha, ha, bought its building. And I was at Bayes Yaakov buying the coupons at the time. You know, there was a certain amount of coupons that parents had to buy because the school got, you know, a certain amount of money from the businesses that sponsored these coupons. Yeah. So I was standing in line to buy these coupons and I hear the women talking and they go, did you hear such and such school finally bought their building? And I said, oh, I said, where is it? And when they told me where it was. Yeah, it was really far out. You weren't going to deal with that. Yeah. I said, that's it. That I'm finished. So I called your father to talk to him and tell him, that's it. I'm finished. I'm taking the boys out of the school. I don't, I don't care what you think. And he did not answer. He was, I guess he was busy at work. He could not answer his phone. I got the voicemail. And I said very sweetly on the voicemail, did you hear the news? Such and such school has bought their building. Guess where it is? It is, and I named the street, and then I said, to, and I said in a deeper, more serious voice, I'm taking the boys out of there today and putting them in, you know, I named the other school that I was going to put you guys and hung up. I ran to the other school. I got the application forms, everything, the medical forms, everything I needed, ran to the pediatrician, ran home, got the checkbook, got your social security cards, ran to the pediatrician. He, you know, fill out the papers, ran back to the school, signed the, the deposit check, handed in the papers, did it all in two hours. Yeah, we talked about this on a previous yeah. podcast. We right. went to detail. So, so no, but the funny thing was that was so there was another one. There were other women. Yes, you mentioned this before in the previous podcast. They heard about this. Yeah, they kept, How did you? Did you really do that? How did you do that? I said, How did I do that? I just went to the school. I got the application forms. I filled everything out and sent it. You know, and just brought it in, that's all. So one woman says, oh, that's right. I forgot, I have to tell my husband that I switched the boys to the other school. So I said, when do you intend to, ta- to tell him? She says, when he's about to drive carpool, I'm going to come out of the house and tell him, oh, by the way, don't take the boys to this school. They're no longer enrolled. Take them to the other school. And I'm going to run into the house and shut the door and lock it. <laughs> Which this brings me to my next question: When is violence the answer? <laughs> oh, all the time, of course. I mean, <laughs> violence is only the answer if you are bigger and stronger than the other person. Yeah, it's just—it's like everybody wants to. I don't know. I—I I feel like everybody wants to be on the some kind of level where there isn't a need for violence there isn't a need for peace i think people are really trying to get like into that mode but it's kind of frustrating when you're like you don't understand you know there are other people that do not care and want you dead and i'm talking <laughs> i'm and i'm talking about like you know there was a story of this one woman who her um this this robber like killed her her husband and like went through the prison system and she wanted this whole, I forgive you thing. And she forgave him and gave him a job where she, I think she worked at and he murdered her. He killed her. Oh my God. So it's just like all this, these things where it's just like, no, you shouldn't. You really, and it's just, it's so insipid. 
It's so ridiculous. There's a difference between the forgiving inside of yourself and dealing with reality. Yeah. And I think that's, that's and our, unfortunately, I think there are a lot of people in our society who unfortunately learn the hard way. Like this or don't woman learn did. it at all. Yeah, that she didn't learn it. She you, just died. You, I know you can you can for you can you can forgive somebody in your heart so that you are not carrying so you let's put it this way so you're not carrying around a boulder and you're in so you're not carrying a boulder inside you so that so that you can go on and live your life and um not be not not conduct your life as an angry bitter individual. Yes. Okay, that that's forgiving someone within yourself, but to uh, how get actually contact someone who you know is dangerous, like that, who has murdered somebody. I mean, that is really um. No, you've got to you got to deal with reality, and I think that's one of the problems uh, with a lot. Of, you know, I see we don't like this to get political, but I think it's one of the problems with a lot of liberals is that. The, the Their heart's in the right that, place, but they just don't understand the, the laws love. that we have seen, like the the bail reduction laws, the um, uh, the the very lax, not tough on crime laws that they're conducting, and you see the results. The result is that crime is in is increasing tremendously in yeah. these areas where they're not actively prosecuting criminals, where they're um, not working to keep them basically keep them locked up to keep them off the street yeah. you, have, you know and they're doing it like oh you know uh you know forgive and that type thing you know and uh you've got to if not dealing with reality like in the case of this woman can be fatal yeah yeah actually there's um there was a book that for a while, I don't know if it still is, but for a while was actually uh, required reading in some of the high schools. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It was one of, um, who's the man's name? Paul Zind, mm -hmm. I think was his name. He wrote a number of books about teenagers dealing with dysfunctional home environments. Okay. And one of the books that he wrote was called The Pig Man. And it's about these two teenagers, this boy and this girl, and this elderly man who they, um, I'm not going to go into details of how they meet up, you know, I mean, it's nothing wrong with it. It's all, it's all, to, it's all totally G-rated. Yeah. The whole book is, you know, there's nothing, you know, nothing even, even R-rated about it. It's all, you know, a G-rated book, but they meet up with this, something, they meet this old man and they all form like a bond with each other, like a, they make a relationship and they go and they start living this almost like fantasy life. Like these two teenagers that are from these dysfunctional households start to like pretend like he's like their father. Yeah. And he was married, his wife died and he won't even admit his wife died. He tells the kids, oh, she's visiting her sister in California. Okay. So what happens is there's a series of events that happen in the book where the end of the book, they're all forced to deal with reality that he's not their father. 
unfortunately, they're from very dysfunctional homes, unloving homes. It's really sad. And he has to deal with the reality. He finally comes to the reality that his wife is not visiting her sister in California, that she's dead. And the result of that is that at the end of the book, he dies of a heart attack. Oh, wow. And the the young man who's writing, who's writing in this book, who's, who, you know, I think the book is in first person. This young man is writing about you know, their experiences and he realizes the importance of having to face reality. He realizes the reason this man died was because he couldn't face reality. He couldn't yeah. deal with it. Yeah. That's, that's something that for me, I, I had to go through, I guess, in my early 20s. Where I don't know what it was, but like in my early twenties and in my teens, there was this feeling where like I wasn't understanding reality. Like there was almost this level of impulsiveness that I had, where I wasn't really, I guess, thinking. It's I guess I guess it's like maybe it's it's like I guess a young adult thing where you're not thinking of other people. You you're 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 kind of on the selfish like rampage of I'm focusing on myself focusing on what I want and then in my like mid 20s I started understanding like oh this is inappropriate behavior I shouldn't be doing this I shouldn't have done this I shouldn't have done that and and then like <clears throat> reality started really sinking in regards to what I should be doing and how I should be acting and taking responsibility for my actions well, I think in a certain way that's that's normal. Yeah. Because as a teenager in your and in your early twenties, you yeah, of course of course you're going to you're function you're functioning in selfish mode because hey, there's you know you're you're I don't know, it's it's like that's why that's why people shouldn't get married too young. Yeah. Because you know, you need at that point, that's what you're supposed to do. At that point, you need to focus in on yourself. You need to find out who you are. And yeah. um, I think there's, I remember, um, well, when um, I was in college, one of the problems that our society had at the time was that you had a lot of middle-aged people. Of course, they, they called it middle-aged crisis. That's what they called it. But there, there really is no middle-aged crisis. It's, um, it's, a, it's, you know, it's a fallacy. There is no middle-aged crisis just an excuse for people being selfish. But what happened was you had, you had people like in their forties who felt that they like never had a chance to really let loose and live Yeah, and, and be a kid. A lot of them, you know, um, a lot of them, you know, were um, getting their, you know, trying to get a good education, getting their, going to college, then getting their careers together, then getting married, starting a family. And a lot of these people it was really sad there was like a whole rush of divorces because mm. you had this whole thing about middle-aged people saying, I never had a chance to find myself. Oh yeah. That and horseshit. you had a lot of these, you know, people that were divorcing and just were going like almost like going crazy, going off and they were doing crazy kid stuff because they never really had a chance to do that. So one of my college professors, I remember uh, was talking about that and he said, your late teens, early twenties. This is the time to let loose and find yourself, have fun, find yourself, 
he says, because if you don't do it now, he says, you're going to wind up doing it when you're 40 and married and have a family. Yeah. And he was, he was commenting on that because we, there was a lot of that, that was going on. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that still happens today. And I've dealt with people that like, we're always talking about like, oh, they didn't have a good childhood. They didn't have good teenage years and their early 20s. They had to go ahead and do, you know, this, that and the other. And therefore they have to sow their wild oats now, which like I understand. I understand. And as for me, I guess I'm being inconsiderate because I did it at the appropriate time, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's why it's so important to sow your wild oats at the appropriate time because i know somebody who not one person multiple people who came from strict backgrounds strict families you know stayed on the on the on the straight and narrow for many many years and then finally snapped and broke and just went haywire and they went haywire at 30 or 40 or 50 you know, and they made all sorts of excuses as to why they did it. But the reality was, was because they wanted to, because they felt they, they missed an opportunity and they're trying to relive something that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's that's where like I get kind of annoyed at that. I think it's kind of silly, but I'm only saying that because I did whatever I did when I, when I was younger that now at, at, you know, almost 35, I don't care. I'll settle down. Who cares? Like, it doesn't bother mm -hmm. me. I don't, I'm not freaking out at like, even though technically now I'm at like the beginning of middle age, I'm not worried about it. It's a little shocking to me at middle age. It's a little bit of a, you know, You're not middle age, you still spring chicken, man. Middle age doesn't start till 45. Uh, uh, 50, no, no. Uh, 55, 60, 65. <laughs> Cute. Yeah. <laughs> but you mentioned before though, about, we were talking before about um, uh, basically being a people pleaser and. Um, you know, like you said, well, there, there is to a certain extent, yeah, you do, you do have to think of the opinions of people around you to a certain extent, but I'm talking about, for example, one of the frustrations I felt I had was, um, I told, I'm telling a friend of mine, um, I have so much responsibility. I wish that I could, you know, drop the kids at a sitter and just go to the park and sit in the park for a while and just read a book or just go swimming by myself or something. And she said to me, she goes, you just, there's no reason why you can't do that. Yeah. But it was one of these things where I felt, I felt like, no, before I do something, I've, I've got to clean the house. I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to, you know, and there was one time that I finally got to the point where I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to drop the kids off at a center. I'm going to go swimming at Basiaco pool. And I did that. And, oh, I, I remember driving back after swimming, but just by myself, just relaxing said oh I felt so good I feel so much better I took that little time off for myself now what I'm talking about is um you know like you said like not big things but you know you know little things that I could that I should have done just to relax for you know just just to relax and enjoy myself a little bit and instead it was oh I got to do this I got to you know it's okay to take a day off occasionally but the other and thing, just forget the house and forget you know responsibilities for one day, and you know leave the kids with the sitter and just you know do something just fun for the day. Now I I, I agree with that, but that kind of leads me to my next question. I was going to ask you, because um, I know I get this feeling sometimes, 
when I have spare time, I feel like I need to have something productive to do. I know what and you're talking about. Yeah. Like, where does that come from? And like, maybe it's a good thing or maybe it's a bad thing because, you know, like I get moments where it's a Sunday or a Friday or it's Shabbos and like, I technically <laughs> should really be doing nothing and trying to decompress. And I'm like taking care of the dishes, you know, taking care of the laundry, you know, running around for this, doing that, you know, mm -hmm. and that's something that like, I, I was wondering, what about you? What's your perspective on that? You know, it's a bit, I, I, for a joke, I was about to say to you, oh, it comes from your Jewish mother's upbringing. <laughs> but my mother tells me, I think in our society, our American society, that's very, very common with a lot of people. But my mother, my mother tells me, my mother struggled with obesity. And she admitted to me that one of the reasons she knows she struggles with obesity, she struggled. She's not no longer in this world. She's no longer struggling with obesity or anything else right now. But uh, um, she's just skin and bones. She's in Shamaim, just you know, enjoying the yes. basket and the screener. So she said that her, she had these European parents, and her mother, of course, her mother grew up in Tsarist Russia, where they, they never, especially girls, never got an education. And the Tsarist government also wanted to make sure that the lower classes did not have an education. So um, her mother had no appreciation of actually reading. So she said, that my mother, when she would see my mother with a book, like reading a book, what are you reading a book for? There's work to be done in the house. Wow. And the only time she would not bother my mother to do work was if she saw my mother eating because she was happy when my mother was eating because, you know, my bubby grew up in Russia. They almost starved to death. So she's happy there in a country where at least there's food and, and her kids are eating. And um, so my mother got that conditioning that as long as she was putting food in her mouth. She was fine. She was, she was at peace. And yeah. she said, you know, besides the fact that, you know, with your, this is true, like European parents who come from very, very poor backgrounds. And this is true also of uh, friends of mine whose parents were Holocaust survivors that they um you can't leave food on your plate yeah it can't be like you know you have to eat everything on your plate whether or not you're full it, you've got to eat it and my and my mother was that way with us too like um what you know why, why are you leaving so much food on your plate well i'm full I'm gonna, what am i going to do with it i don't want to throw it out oh and your and your father and i had your father had the same problem in his house and your father and I came to the point where we said, you know what? When we're full, we don't have to rescue the food. We, and we, it took us a while to get ourselves out of this conditioning. And I remember one time your father and I were eating and your father put down his fork and he said out loud, I'm full. I don't have to eat anymore. I don't have to rescue the food. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, <sighs> I, I get that feeling when like like for me, food is like another level of pleasure where like I I used to eat only for fuel. I used to only eat because it gave me energy. I like wouldn't really give in to my sweet tooth. I wouldn't really give into it. And I guess as I got older, I just got convinced 
to just let that go. And that mm-hmm. now I just, there's a level of it where I eat for pleasure. And I know if someone listens to this, they're not going to either understand or be wondering like what's going on. But like growing up, it, it, growing up in the house and learning, learning Hasidus and learning about discipline and, and, and avoiding, avoiding physical pleasures. Like, even though I gave into other pleasures for sure, but food was something that I felt I didn't have to give into. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at some point I just kind of snapped and I just, I haven't gotten back since <laughs> of the whole, like, no, you know, I could resist food. Now it's like, I don't care. I'll just have a candy bar. Fuck it. Like <laughs> whatever. Um, but th- one of the things I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. also was um, when you were in college and I'm not talking about the sociological situations in college. I'm talking about like the physicality of it all. Uh, what kind of fads were you and your friends into? So really good fads. Like, yeah, bell-bottom jeans, make sure I had this kind of hairdo and make sure uh, this was cool and that was cool. and Not so much college, you might say. That, that's really? That's more high schoolish. Yeah, I guess. High, the high schoolish thing is more, you know. Um, oh, okay. Well, and one of the things that were going around in college was um, people people were into army stuff. Even though it was, oh, it's so yeah. funny. It was, it was the age we were, we were, here we were demonstrating against the Vietnam War. Yeah. And there were kids on campus that were, you know, you could go to, um, what was it? It was um, Sunny's. I think Sunny's, um, Sunny Surplus. Yes. Called. I think it's still around. And, oh, it is. We, I don't so know. I remember going to Sunny Surplus. I remember um, I needed a knapsack. I wanted a good knapsack because I, I had a lot of stuff I was carrying. Yeah. And I really need a good knapsack. So I figured, what knapsack could be better than an army knapsack? Oh, and so for I sure. Went to Sunny Surplus. I got an army knapsack. Uh, I have friends of mine that were wearing stuff like, you know, uh, combat boots, army fatigue, stuff like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was, um, uh, when I was in high school, the, oh, when I was in, oh, when I was in high school, the big thing among girls was, it was, you know, during the time, it was the, during the time of Peter, Paul, and Mary. Okay. And Mary Travis had this very, very bone straight hair. Hmm. And that became the, I think it was in junior high school or something, that became the vote. That very, very bone straight hair. And if you had curly hair, mm. oh no, oh man. So I was doing all sorts of things to straighten it. I, we were ironing when my mother would, my mother would do the ironing on Thursday. And me and my sisters would come over to the ironing board. We would actually put our heads on the ironing board. Yes, come with the ironer hair. <laughs> there was no such thing as uh, ironing. Um... Hair irons? I don't know, but there was there was actually an article in the newspaper that was written about it. That's how we got the idea, showing a girl, you know, with her head on the ironing board, and um, the girls were iron were ironing their hair to get it straight. And so, uh, I didn't even think about buying a um a hot iron. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Did they have? A, I don't read you know, something. There's a lot of very convenient hair things that came later. Like I remember um, nobody, I don't remember anybody um, having blow dryers until after I graduated college. People did not have blow, blow dryers. You had these dryers with these bags that came that fit over your head in a hose, these yeah. electric dryers. They were small, small electric dryers. And it took, it would take 45 minutes 
for you to really dry your hair. So what we used to do was we would take, we had these big rollers. They were called beer can rollers, huge rollers. And we would put our hair in these big, huge, one of the things we do, um, big, huge rollers. And we would, when it was, when they were wet, when they, your hair was wet, you put them in these big rollers. And then you would take one of these hair dryers with the nozzle in the bag. You would put the bag over your head. You would lay down on your bed, like to read a book. And most like, cat, please. Oh, come on, nice, nice, nice. And one, what would usually happen is you'd fall asleep. <laughs> you'd fall asleep under the hair dryer. <laughs> and wake up like an hour later and your hair was nice and dry now <laughs> but um the first time I saw a blow dryer was when um I was in my junior year I, I went for a couple for two week trip to Italy and for some reason in Italy they had these hand blow dryers I didn't see too many in the United States but I saw it in Italy and one girl in particular that um she was from Canada. She was a voice student that was staying in the dormitory where we were staying. I remember one morning knocking at her door. I need, I had to ask her something about, um, I forgot what it was. And she came to the door and she had this uh, hand dryer. She just washed her hair. She had this hand dryer and she was blow drying her hair. And I said, well, you mean you can actually wash your hair and then take a blow dryer and have it all dry and styled within like 10 minutes? She said, yeah. That's awesome. And I love it. it because in my day, you had to do one of two things. Either if you had time during the day, you did what I said with the with the bag over your head and the big um and the big beer can rollers, or you would wash your hair the night before. And what I would do is I would put it in a ponytail, roll the ponytail into one of these big beer can dryers, fix it with these big bobby pins, these huge bobby pins, and I would sleep that way. Oh, and wow. I woke up in the morning, I would take out the ponytail, the beer can. And my hair was nice and straight and smooth, but I had to sleep with it. No, because there were we we did not have that. I don't remember anybody having these hand blow dryers until um like years later after I graduated college. Yeah, probably. Um, we have like five minutes left. I have one more question, but I really think it'll be like a good long question. Um, when you were a kid, what made you realize you were poor? My father always told us that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so too. I think that too, like growing up, but like there's some kind of, I don't know. <laughs> my, like, my, father, my father always told us that. He said, he said, he said, you know, we can't afford this. We can't afford that. He said, so when I remember my mother getting mad at him with that, he said, will you stop telling the kids we're poor, we're poor, we're poor, we're poor. And so he says to her, but well, we sure aren't rich. <laughs> but I remember one time there was a, uh, I invited this little girl in my class. That guy must've been like, fourth grade maybe and I invited her after school to come to my house to you know to to play to hang out and she came into our house and she looked and she goes oh she goes sure I mean just you are rich and <laughs> my mother was there we looked at each other my mother said rich where is your she goes but she goes my mother said we're, we're not rich this is you know very uh broke shit said, but she said no I, I don't know I don't I, I'll tell you I don't know what background I've never went to this. I had never gone to this girl's house, never did. And so I don't know what, you know, I hate to say it, what kind of socioeconomic level she was from, but where she was concerned when she saw the inside of my house, she goes, wow, 
you know, the, you know, so compared to her, I guess we were, I guess we were. I guess Jewish standards are different than regular standards. <laughs> that could be. I don't know. <laughs> but good question. Yeah, because I was thinking because when I because when I was a kid, I heard Tati complain all the time about that, and it 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 made me it made me like hyper aware, but I wouldn't say like it was a problem i thought for me it made me more frugal and mm-hmm. understanding the value of a dollar mm-hmm. you know and 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 the appreciation of what i had that's you know, good that's really good yeah i, I don't know I, just, I hear all these stupid instagram posts and these dumb things on youtube about like I, just using the word trauma traumatic stories and how <laughs> horrible your childhood is and how traumatic it is and how you have to work so hard to fight against it because of all the horrible traumatic abuse and all of that i'm like shut up i don't i don't care it's the most dumbest thing in the world in my opinion to think about and dwell upon on such a negative scale it makes matters so much worse and that's not me like trying to stick my head in the sand that's just like you don't want to create that kind of negativity and obsess over that kind of negativity it's so bad it's so awful and it just it kind of pisses me off actually that's why I usually I skip those videos or I skip those clips or I skip those Instagram posts that talk about it because you're like, shut up, just shut your stupid mouth. Because like, did you know that being hyper aware was a sense of trauma and being and you're not really being, you know, uh, what's the word for it? Um, the uh, shoot, forgot whatever the, the the word you have for being oh empathetic, being being an empath. You're not really an empath. You're just suffering from trauma. For when you were growing up because of how you were raised, now you've been so hyper aware and, you know, figuring out and realizing your parents' footsteps wasn't really a good thing. It was actually a bad thing because, you know, you understood that it was abuse, trauma and trauma and abuse. I'm like, shut the fuck. Like, just stop. Just fucking stop. Like, I, 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 I was really happy I saw this gem video talking about how, like, obsessing over your traumas and talking about your traumas doesn't fucking help you it really doesn't help you it 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 makes things worse it doesn't fix anything and you wind up going down just a rabbit hole of negativity so that makes a lot of sense that makes a tremendous amount of sense yeah it's 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 also very frustrating when people try to use it as an identity like, oh, I have this kind of thing. So I have PTSD from like, you know, this and that. So that's my identity of being PTSD identity because that's me and my trauma identity for my PTSD identity. Oh, and <laughs> I have my ADHD, like non-denominational like like identity that like I kind of focus on. Like that's what I need to deal with. It just gets so fucking exhausting. It's just well, what, so dumb. I think what it is too, I think in a certain respect, maybe these people are using this as a cop-out, like not even trying to find... Not even trying to get above that. It's just wallowing in it because they don't, they don't want to. They don't want to exert the the effort. It takes effort to get, you know, to get out of something like that, and to establish a more positive life for yourself. It it takes work, and I think these people, in a way, it's like a cop out. It's like, um, oh, because of this, I I can't do this because of that. So they don't even try. I don't know. I don't I know. Mean, one. Oh wait, you we're, we're really Rather running out out okay. less than a minute. You gotta go. Okay. We'll talk about it tomorrow. We'll talk about it next episode, okay? All right. Uh, 
How, how dare you shush up a Jewish woman while she's talking? That's torture. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. Please send us feedback and comments on our Facebook page and like and subscribe on YouTube. I know I would like it, and my mother would too.